Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson vill jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who's listened to the Drake Batherson song by Brian five or six, probably more times than I should be admitting. Uh, I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and once again, it's a psych just kidding, because I will not be your host today. I will once again be passing the mic over to the great Ben Burnett, who is going to be talking to Ian Mendez all about the Ottawa Senators. We're really excited to have gotten this interview. Ian is an awesome journalist, works with The Athletic. Of course, he's great. And Ben and Ian had a really great chat. I think you're really going to like it. Before we get into that, of course, I'll just mention quickly, Keeping Carlson, very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com. Check it out for everything you need to know about fantasy hockey. Also, if you haven't checked out what's going on in our feed in a while, uh, we definitely recommend you check out some of the latest episodes. We've had some really good ones here. Uh, ben did an interview with Kevin Kurz about the Islanders recently. Before that, I talked to Sheng Peng about the San Jose Sharks. Brian and I recapped the first couple playoff rounds and looked for fantasy implications. We hosted a t- uh, round three Keeping Carlson Playoff Pool draft, which was a blast. And we've also got a lot of good shows coming your way, more interviews and some more fantasy content as we barrel through the round three of the you know NHL playoffs and into the offseason. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You know, um, then you just get everything you need. Podcasts are great, right? You don't even have to know that there's a new episode. You just wake up one day and you're like, oh, look at that. Bonus for me. Now I get to listen to some more Keeping Carlson content. But anyways, okay, I'm obviously just blabbing and blabbing. Uh, and I don't know why. There's no need to stall because I've got a really great show for you to listen to coming up in just a moment. So take it away, Ben. And I hope you all enjoy Ben's chat with Ian Mendez about the Ottawa Senators. Welcome back to the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I am your host for another edition of the Beat Writer Interview Series. My name is Ben Burnett, and joining me today, senior writer for The Athletic, Ian Mendez. Ian, how are you doing this fine, fine summer afternoon? Hey, Ben, listen, uh, great great to be with you. Always, uh, always fun, uh, you know, joining these types of podcasts, fantasy stuff, hockey stuff, send stuff, whatever. So yeah, doing, doing great and uh, trying to enjoy as much of the, uh, the conference finals as, uh, as possible here. Uh, I'm a Rangers fan. So last night was, oh. you know, the best night of my life. Basically the game one of the finals was last night. I guess we're dating this slightly, but Hey, uh, I'm too excited not to mention it. See, but you're clearly a young Rangers fan because you're you don't remember 94 right so that is uh, true i do not yeah. remember 94 that so, was a little bit before i i would have uh i would have been conscious enough to to follow but, but. yeah there you go but th- th- this is fun you know what like to me uh i think that this is the first time i can remember it a long and i'm sure maybe there's another year that that people can uh jump in and 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 you know say that this was the case i feel like the all four teams that are left standing here in the conference finals I don't care what the potential matchup is in the finals. It's going to be great. Like there's star power on every team. There's compelling storylines on every team. Like there's not like every year you usually get like one dud team or like a Cinderella team. That's kind of punching above their weight. And you're like, man, I don't, I really hope they don't get to the finals. And with all due respect last year, I think it was 
kind of like the Islanders and the Habs. People didn't want to see them in the finals year 100%. before. I think it was Dallas. Like year before it was Dallas. Again, with all due respect to them, um, they, they don't quite have that same star power. But you look at Tampa, Rangers, Edmonton and Colorado like this is this is really fun to, to watch these four teams. Yeah, I admittedly um, am. I feel a bit like a fraud in terms of my hockey fandom because I find that the deeper the playoffs go, the war of attrition really takes away some of the the enjoyment. Like I find round yeah. one to be kind of the most entertaining generally, and then. Uh, but I agree with you. This season, it feels like it's just gotten better and better, and it kind of reminds me of like those years that we would get like. You know, best on best, like Chicago, LA in the in the Western Conference Finals is a, yeah. a recent example where it's just like now the best hockey is feels like it's yet to come. So we're we're very lucky. I agree with you on that. Uh, let's talk about a team that you cover very closely, the Ottawa Senators, a team who would be very happy to be in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals within the next few seasons, a team that basically is is working through a rebuild, and it feels like they are on the precipice of something uh, something special here, I, I, and there are a lot of players to talk about, which has not always been the case in recent seasons. Uh, Got to start with Captain Brady Kachuk here, who missed the start of the season due to a contract dispute. And started a bit slowly from an offensive perspective, at least relative to the rest of his season. He winds up hitting his stride, finishes 2022 with career highs in all of the major offensive categories. He's got 30 goals, 37 assists, 67 points on the year. What did you see from Brady this season, Ian? And and do you think he has room to grow offensively from here? Yeah, and, and I think, Ben, when you look at Brady Kachuk coming into this season, I think we thought maybe 30 goals was his ceiling. Mm-hmm. And now and now that he's hit that and did it in a year that, like you said, was a little bit disjointed, a little bit weird, didn't have training camp. I think we can at least open up our minds to the possibility of like, is 35 goals uh, in the conversation? I think it is like 40 might be a bit of a stretch for me right now, but I'm willing to revisit that at the end of next season. But he is certainly open my eyes into, okay, I think 30 is attainable. Let's talk about 35. Um, he, you know, w- what I liked about Brady this year too, Ben, is is a lot of times when you think of Brady Kachuk in the first couple of years, like, and I, I don't have the, the like the, the kind of the, the goal map in front of me, but you know, like a lot of times you think this guy just scores from within like two feet of the net, right? Yes. Like he's, he's Mr. Garbage. He's Mr. Uh, you know, rebound or whatever. I feel like this year he kind of expanded his repertoire and, and kind of where he could shoot and where he could score from on the ice. And so I, you know, I think he had some good chemistry with Josh Norris, who was mostly his centerman. So what, what I like about Kachuk is, um, you know, he can, he can score a little bit on the power play. But he he was really good even strength. I think I if I'm not I don't have the numbers up in front of me. I could pull them out. But I think he led the team in even strength uh, goals this season. And and you know Norris was the guy that was really the trigger man on the power play. But I think Brady led them in, in even strength goals. And so when you're you're looking at that, like to me that's always such an important metric, right? Like even strength points are huge. It's a great tell. And and I think this year Brady uh, led the team in even strength goals, assists, and. Uh, and points. And so uh, to, to be able to do that when a lot of people thought like, you know, you know, he's, he doesn't have the offensive ceiling maybe of his brother, but you know what? I, I think he could be a 35 goal, 75 point guy uh, in the next couple of seasons. And and that, that's uh, that to me is certainly a legitimate first line player in this league. 
Well, and especially coming off of last season where we saw players who I would have never, like, I, I never thought that Chris Kreider would be a 50-goal scorer. Right. I never thought that Brock Nelson would put up 37 goals. Like, it, it, to me, the idea of, of Brady Kachuk putting up 40 in his career is is no more absurd to me than I, I would have thought either of those uh, those totals were prior to last year. Yeah, like, well, Kreider is the best example, right? Like, he... Mm-hmm. Like he just kind of came out of nowhere and went from like kind of this always a 30 goal, 25, 30, all of a sudden he scores 50. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And again, like we saw offensive numbers go up across the league this year, right? Where, where we had more guys scoring 30, 40, 50 goals than we've had in recent years, more guys eclipsing 100 points, all those things. Uh, and Brady, you know, Brady's numbers went up accordingly. But uh, I, I think, you know, when he was drafted, you got to remember when he was drafted in 2018, there was a lot of people that thought Ottawa really reached on him at four. Um, mm-hmm. There was people really upset in, in this market saying, oh, man, you passed on Phil Zadina. Like, what right. are you doing? And now at the end of it, like like Brady's numbers are kind of similar to Andrei Svechnikov, who was the other forward uh, taken. Well, Kotkaniemi's in there, too. But, but like mm-hmm. Svechnikov and Kachuk's numbers are pretty darn close kind of four years into their career in terms of goals and whatnot. So so I think he has certainly surpassed the draft day expectations that a lot of people had for him. I definitely agree with you there. And I, I was definitely one of those people who I don't follow prospects through the season, but, you know, I, I tend to try and read up before the draft so I can I can enjoy that process. And I was one of those people who was like, ah, oh, they they missed on the the easy. They whiffed on the easy pick there. They should have grabbed Zadina. Uh, amazing to see what Brady has turned into, uh, especially in fantasy, where this is a guy who he shoots and hits so much. Um, the one nit that you could pick with Brady's season from a fantasy standpoint was he was down about a hit per game from yeah. four and a half to three and a half, which is still incredible for an offensively gifted player. It's really hard to find a guy who puts up 60 points and is going to get you three plus hits a game. Uh, just wondering if, you know, as somebody who watches the team super closely, is there any reason that you saw for that? Or, or do you think that's a blip? Um, it, it's you know what a couple of years ago, and I think it was the pandemic shortened season. Like he was on pace to become, I think one of the only players in the history of the game. He might have been the first to have three hundred hits and three hundred shots in the same season. Like like mm-hmm. he was this kind of unicorn fantasy player, wasn't he? Like especially yes. and, and and if you rolled in. Uh, like, you know, and, and depending on how your, your pool works for, for, for listeners, if, if penalty minutes are part of it, like he, he became very, he became very valuable. Like when you started adding some of these other elements and, and things in there, I think that this year, like you noticed it too, like, like he fought, I think a little bit less, I think he hit a little bit less. And I think that is a little bit of a function of the team has tried to tell him like, like they tried to put the reins on him. They're like, this guy just, he just wants to win so badly that he's willing to go through a wall. And at the end of the year, what I thought was interesting too, Ben was Brady talked about how he finished the season. He had kind of injuries to both of his wrists. Um, I think he had some back issues. Like at one point in his season, ending press conference, he was like, uh, everything is sore. And you know, this is a guy who is playing for a team that wasn't even in the playoff race but he kind of runs around with a little reckless abandon. So I think this year, like maybe the hits were down a little bit. The fights were down a little bit uh, as a dual function of a, I think the team has just tried to tell him like, like, man, we don't need you in the box and we don't need you fighting as much as you love your teammates and want to stick up for them. Like let, let somebody else do that. And B, I, I do think he was banged up this year. I, I think he was a little bit hurt at times 
um, with, with injuries that, that, that probably brought some of those metrics down. Like, I don't know if the window is passed for him to do the 300 shots, 300 hits uh, thing, but I, I feel like his best chance to do it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, too, because, I mean, once they do start making the playoffs and, and hopefully going on these deep runs, Brady is going to learn very quickly that he values his body being in peak form later in the yeah. year. And and those those sort of uh, that banging around is obviously going to take a toll on him at some point. Um, looking to the the rest of the, the sense forward group, I think obviously you want to be playing with Brady if you if you are a senator's forward. Um, it seems as though the player most likely to continue on the Brady Kachuk line is Josh Norris, who I, I, it looks to me is the sense plan at one C for for the next little while at least. Uh, also put up career highs in his second year with 35 goals in 66 games, paced for nearly 70 points uh, last year. How for real is this version of Josh Norris? Do you see him sticking in that range or or does he have a higher gear as well? Well, I think the interesting thing is that coming into this season, we thought, yeah, maybe maybe Josh Norris, like he's going to end up being a really good number two centerman. I think a lot of people thought, you know, well, maybe maybe he could be a number one centerman. And then he explodes for a 35 goal campaign in a year in which he missed, I think 15 games or 16, I think 16 yeah, games he ended right. up missing. And, and he had uh, a shoulder injury. If you look at, and you kind of uh, mentioned his like per game uh, kind of, you know, what he was like, he was tracking to kind of be like, I think he would have had like 43 goals, uh, something in that neighborhood. So I think that that's legitimate first line and first, uh, you know, first unit production. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is though, um, you look at his stats, you're like, those don't look like the stats of a centerman, right? Like 35 goals, 20 assists. What do you think of? You think of like, <laughs> that's a goal scoring winger. Right? Right. That's like a Kreider type of season, yeah, right? Mike like, Hoffman like is the guy. Yeah, Mike Hoffman or like, like that doesn't. So the only interesting thing on Norris is he's not your prototypical playmaking first. And I'm going to end up with 20 goals and 35 assists. It might be 35 goals and, and 20 assists. I think there's going to be a really interesting discussion in Ottawa. Um, I think they're going to end up with two really balanced lines. I, I think Tim Stutzler really emerged in the back half of the year and, 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 and he's now at center ice. Like I think at the end of the day, you're going to see Norris and Stutzler are going to have like almost identical minutes. Like if I had to guess for next year, I think both those guys are playing like 19 minutes a night, 18, 19 minutes a night. And I don't think there'll be much differential between them in terms of, uh, ice time at even strength and power play time. I think they'll both get pretty even stuff. So Norris to me, it's going to be interesting because he only has like 120 some odd games under his belt, but he needs a new contract because his entry level deal is done. And if you're Ottawa, you're like, mm, is this guy like, is this what he is? Like, do we lock him up for seven years, eight years? Is he more of a bridge guy? Let's see. Like, so to me, that's going to be really fascinating to see how the, the contract stuff plays out with Norris. But, but I do think he established himself as a potential, like, as I think as a 30 goal guy moving forward in this league, which is no small feat. And I do think the power play, if you're looking at power play guys for, for fantasy boy, like he, he, he was just money from the same spot. Uh, the right face-off circle, like all, all like he, I think he scored 15 power play goals and all of them were from the face-off circle, like all of them, not, not like, well, eight of them, no, all of them <laughs> were from that, 
kind of inside the dot or around the dot. So he's carved out a niche as a really dangerous player and shooter. I do think that whatever he shot last year with 20%, that's unsustainable. Like, as you know, you can't have a 20% shooting percentage, mm-hmm. uh, you know, year over year. So I think it's more likely that that number comes down to like 12% and maybe his, his volume increases and, you know, but, but I think 30 goals is a really reasonable expectation. If you're, if you're drafting a guy like Josh Norris in your pool. And you mentioned sort of what what we might see from a next contract with Norris. My guess would be that the Senators would uh, would like to give him the Drake Batherson type of you know five million over six year type of deal uh, that looks to be a incredible value deal. Uh, just one year out, I believe that was signed last summer. Um, Drake Batherson, a guy who played a ton of minutes up on that top line with Norris and Kachuk when he was healthy this year. Uh, winds up missing about 35 games with injuries, but finished the year on pace for 78 points, a 30-goal pace as well. Um, also found some chemistry. You sort of mentioned the the dynamic of of seeing two even lines here, and I guess I'm 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 gonna guess that what you're thinking there. And I was I was leading towards this question anyway, but sort of I thought maybe we would see a, a Stutzla Batherson Norris Kachuk split. Um, and the guy who put up a, a ton of points on the on the top line when Batherson moved down in the stretch last year was was Matthew Joseph after he was acquired at the trade deadline, uh, twelve points in eleven games with Kachuk and Norris last year. So obviously, I'm getting a little frazzled. A, a couple questions here. Let's start with the Drake. Uh, do you see him starting next year on the top line? Do you think that DJ Smith tries to spread that offensive wealth onto a second line? Where do you see it uh, heading into 2023? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. I think a lot of it will be predicated on what do they do this summer? Do they trade for a top? Like, I think they're going to try their best to acquire a top six forward. And the question is, is that a right winger or a left winger? Then that might dictate kind of where some guys move around. But I think all things being equal, they would like to start with, the as you mentioned, the two duos. So duo one would be Josh Norris, Brady Kachuk. Duo two would be Tim Stutzler, Drake Batherson. And then you kind of go plug and play with those other two spots. Like, is it, um, you know, is it the free agent guy? Is it Matthew Joseph? Is it whatever? But Batherson, what people need to remember is when he got hurt uh, and he got hit, he had hit by Aaron Dell of Buffalo and the kind of that weird play that, um, you know, uh, unfortunately ended his chances of going to the all-star game. He was producing at like one point almost 1.2 points per game at that point. Like I remember at one point we were having the conversation, like could Drake Batherson get to 90 points this season? And it was like around the 35, 40 game mark. Like it wasn't, you know how usually in like November you're like, Oh my God, this guy's on pace for hundred points. Well, we were like, we were in January and we were like, he's on pace for like 92 points. And then he got hurt and he just wasn't the same. So when you see his numbers at the end of the year and, and whatever you said, he was on pace for 78 points he was a shell of himself for the final, whatever he came back and played 10, 12 games. Like to me, like, like if you're asking me like, Hey, next year um, and, and you're drafting Ottawa players and you're just looking at like, who's going to lead this team in points. Like my, my first pick might be Batherson because he is the, the, at this stage of the game, I think Stutzla is the guy that could overtake him here, but Drake is the most silky smooth, calm, talented player with the puck on this team right now. I, I do think Stutzler could overtake him, but 
what what Drake can do with passing the puck and finding seams and doing different things and working the power play, he's mad. He's a magician. So I think I I think he's got the potential to be an 85 point guy, 90 point guy if he's healthy and and he clicks with Stutzla. And and I do think that they they would like to spread the wealth uh, a little bit with those top two forward lines. I think that the I, I mean I was I was right there with you uh, for the first half of Drake's uh, Drake season and um, that injury was the one that sunk one of my 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 couple my keeping Carlson ultimate uh, fantasy <laughs> league team so I was I was uh, I, I'm not over it and I haven't forgiven Aaron Dell I guess is the easiest way to say this um, but I think that uh, to your point on on Batherson what was what's shocking is you look at the numbers the the shooting percentages is fine. He's he's right in line with his last few seasons, right around 15%. Um, he has a, a bit of an elevated on-ice shooting percentage, um, which you, you I'd expect goes down a bit. But what I noticed is that he just really doesn't shoot on the power play anymore. It really goes through uh, Josh Norris at this point, who you mentioned earlier is, is money on that top unit. Do you see any sort of opportunity for, for growth there? That, that feels to me like the biggest obstacle for Batherson in terms of becoming a, a 90 or 100 point player. Do, do you think that he has the, that he'll get the usage, I guess, on the power play to, to hit those, those heights? He'll get the usage for sure. Like they like, let me put it this way. I don't care who they get in the summertime. Uh, and I know Ottawa fans are like, Hey, let's sign Claude Giroux or let's, let's trade for Kevin Fiala. Like no matter who you're talking about, I think Ottawa is set with their top five. Their, their first unit power play is set in stone. Like they are so happy with, uh, and it's Thomas Shabbat on the back end alongside Drake Batherson, Josh Norris, Tim Stutzla, and Brady Kachuk. Now, as you know, like you can only get three points on every power play goal. And it certainly felt like Ottawa's power play last season was designed to feed Josh Norris in the slot. Like that in that one spot, sorry, in the uh, kind of the right face off circle, like it, like kind of everything went through that. And if you watch their power play, you would see Batherson was more of a kind of setup guy. And like, like I said, he could, he was very good at finding the seam to make that pass across the ice to maybe find Josh Norris. There's room for him to grow for sure, because I think he must have only had like fewer than five power play goals, yeah, like he whatever three. he had, right? Yeah. Three. Yeah, exactly. So like, like to me, he was great with setting up plays and so was Stutzla, by the way. Um, but, but I do think that there's room for a little bit of growth because you would have to think if you were in an opposition team and let's, let's, you know, uh, say you're, you're playing Ottawa opening night. Like, I can guarantee you the coach's speech is they're going to show you here's this 15 goals that Josh Norris scored on the power play last year, guys. They're all from the same spot. Let's take that away from them and make somebody else beat us. And the guy that could potentially do that would be Drake Batherson. So I I think he'll still get first unit power play minutes. And unless that unit sputters, I don't see Ottawa changing anything to that. Where I do think that there's room for growth is in the second unit power play um, where guys like the aforementioned uh, Matthew Joseph and maybe um, Alex Formanton and those guys could maybe have a chance to to make a little bit of noise on that on that second unit. I am going to I'm going to uh, throw in a quick plug here to an excellent article on The Athletic I read today uh, about the senators mm-hmm. and trading for Kevin Fiala by Ian Mendez. Uh, everybody listening <laughs> should definitely check that one out. Um, Matthew Joseph, though, a player who, you know, finished the season so hot. 
Um, what did you see from him uh, when he came over from Tampa? And do you see him getting that opportunity to be offensively productive uh, in 2023? So it was it was nuts. Like he came in. It's very rare that you get a player coming in and like he just clicks with a new team and you're like, wow, this guy just seems to fit. And he had 12 points in 11 games, I think, to end the year. And he had a hat trick in, in one of his first four or five games. And he was playing alongside Norris and Kachuk. And so I think all things being equal, and we talk about splitting up lines, I think Ottawa saw enough out of Matthew Joseph in, in 11 games last year to say, let's keep that line going because he brings speed. He, like, he was a guy that realistically in Tampa, there was really no room for him to grow into that, that role, right? Like, like Tampa, when they're healthy and they've got point and they've got, you know, Kucherov and Stamkos and Palat and all their guys, like there's really, there wasn't room for him to move into that top six. And then potentially they had to pay him this year. Like it wasn't going to work, but there's room for him to do that in Ottawa. And, and I think like, if you're, if you're drafting players for next year and you're like, if you're looking for the potential, like who could be next year's Michael Bunting, uh, Matthew Joseph is the guy that I think of because like, you got to fill out somebody in that role. Like, and he showed that he could do it. Like, I don't think it's out of the realm that if he plays the full season uh, on the top line and he's healthy and, you know, Kachuk and Norris are going, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Matthew Joseph's a 20 goal, uh, 50 point guy. Like I don't. And, and those are, so, and as you know, like sometimes those are the guys that win you pools is like, like the, the guys that just kind of over like outproduce their previous best by 20 points or whatever. And we're like, I didn't know like Michael Bunting was going to play with, with, with Matthews and Marner. Well, that's, I think going to be Matthew Joseph next year, at least to start, he's going to be the guy that potentially gets those, those big minutes with Kachuk and Norris. So I think there's a great opportunity for him. Uh, I think he fit in really well. I think the coach likes him. I think the line mates like him. And, and he's a guy that I think could have a sneaky good year next year. The other player that we need to talk about in this top six is, of course, uh, Jimmy Stutzla uh, now leads the 2020 draft class with 87 points in his first 132 games, a very respectable 58 points last season. Saw a nice jump in ice time. You mentioned sort of seeing him in a, a 19 minute a night role, played 18 and a half last year. A great run, really stepped up when Batherson went down uh, halfway through the year, but also had some slower stretches. Um when you look at Stutzla, you, you sort of mention him as the guy who can be that silky smooth offensive producer like Batherson. How close do you think he is to becoming that, you know, number one premier offensive player for the Senators? Uh, he's on the doorstep, Ben. He's like on the doorstep and he's knocking loudly. And I'll tell you, the last 30, like the last 30 games he played, I think he had 31 points. And and he got moved to center last season because for for fans who may not remember this. Ottawa lost Colin White in training camp, Shane Pinto at the start of the year, like two guys that they thought were going to be, you know, eating some significant minutes for them down the middle, got hurt like right away. And so Tim Stutzler got moved to center kind of by necessity. And he just took off. Like if you look at his numbers as a winger and as a centerman, it's almost night and day. And I, I think it's probably a little much to say, oh, okay, well, he had 31 points in 30 games last year uh, down the stretch. Like, let, let's pencil this guy in for 80 points. Like, that that seems a touch optimistic, but I, I don't think 
65 points, 70 points, 30 goals is out of the realm. And again, what I think is really good and optimistic for Ottawa fans is everybody we've talked about, Kachuk, Stutzla, Norris, Batherson, um, every guy we've talked about when we talk about their offensive ceilings, we haven't hit them yet. Like, it's okay mm. to say, I think he might have four, five more goals in him or, or 10 more goals in him. And that's exciting, right? Like when you when you got players that are between the ages of 20 and, and 23, 24, and they, and they haven't quite hit that ceiling yet, it's an exciting time. And Stutzla represents the one guy, though, that has the highest ceiling, A, because he's the youngest, but B, because I think he, he is also the most talented of the group. And so when he kind of matures into the game and we saw it last year when he reaches that level i think it's going to be a really fun conversation to have uh between him and lafreniere in a couple of years like is like uh, is is tim students better than Alex, uh, alexis lafreniere i think we might be ready to have that conversation in a couple of years and, and quentin byfield probably deserves uh you know a merit uh mention there too but it's going to be fun to watch because those three guys were clearly ahead of everybody else in that draft class. And I think to date Stutzel has probably been the best, but in saying that, you know, Lafreniere is now playing for like a team with playoff aspirations and Stutzel is probably allowed to play with a little bit more freedom. And, and, you know, so there, there's some mitigating factors that kind of hurt Lafreniere when we go head to head, but, but Tim has been, everything is advertised and, and maybe even a little bit better um, in the last, uh, six weeks of the season. So it's going to be fun. And there's another guy that's going to need a contract at the end of next season. And if you're Ottawa, I'd be, I'd be working hard to maybe try to get that deal done now uh, because I get the feeling that that, that cap hit and that, that number is only going to go up if he has another season like this one. I appreciate you making the uh, the case for Alexi Lafreniere for me, so I didn't have to, as a Rangers <laughs> fan, sort of jump in and uh, you know overly defend my guy here. But uh, yeah, very nice playoffs. But I would say that, uh, and and he's grown as this season has gone on for sure. He looks really solid under Gerard Gallant. But I, I do think that uh, Stutzla is in the pole position as far as that draft class. There's no question. Maybe Lucas Raymond is the the closest uh, number two at the moment. Um, we're gonna take a very quick break. We have a lot of exciting players to get to. We got to talk about Thomas Shabbat in particular. Uh, you're listening to Keeping Carlson. Welcome back to Keeping Carlson. We're here with Ian Mendez of The Athletic. And Ian, I uh, before we jump out of the forward group, I just want to see if there's anyone else who, who you think bears mentioning here in terms of fantasy. The number one guy on my mind is Alex Formanton, um, who, very respectable rookie season, put up 32 points in 79 games, but not quite on the threshold of being uh, a guy who would be rostered in all fantasy leagues. Uh, do you see any other of the Sens forward sort of being worth um, grabbing in the draft or at least having on your watch list as drafts uh, as we move through training camp next year? Yeah, Formington would be the one for sure because, you know, he might get some top six minutes, top, um, you know, uh, second unit power play, some penalty killing time. If, if shorthanded goals are something that, um, you know, you get extra points for in your league, well, he would certainly be a, a guy that I would consider because I, I think he was tied for the league lead with five last year. So Formington would be a guy. And then the only other guy that maybe we could have a conversation about would be Shane Pinto. And, you know, Shane is a really, really mature hockey player and just has had terrible luck with injuries last season and um, didn't get a chance to play. I don't think he'll get a chance to really get a ton of power play time 
and get it like again, Stutzla and Norris are probably going to end up eating close to 40 minutes of ice time per night. Um, I think like pretty darn close to it uh, between them at the one and two center spots. So um, I, I think Pinto though could probably play 14 minutes a night, 15 minutes a night in that third line role. I don't know really, to be honest, though, what his offensive ceiling is, because it's hard to, especially some of those NCAA guys, you never know, like, how does that translate into the pro game? Uh, But like, I wouldn't be shocked if he could get into that 30 to 40 point range next season. Again, if you're just looking for like a late, late draft pick that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking for some 30 point guys, 40 point guys. Shane Pinto wouldn't be a bad pick because if he can stay healthy, I think he's going to be their third center and he'll probably play with Connor Brown and he'll probably play with Alex Formanton. And both of those guys, you know, maybe those guys could flirt with 15 to 20 goals and, and, you know, somebody's got to set them up. So, uh, you know, he would be another guy I would, I would, I would possibly consider. Guys who probably like on, on heavy schedule weeks are worth considering, or maybe when they get a shot play like through, through injuries or whatever, shakeups mid season uh, might slot higher up the lineup. It sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let's hop over to defense and got to start with uh, the guy you've already mentioned, Tommy Shabbat, a player who um, was a superstar for my hometown St. John Sea Dogs when he played in the queue. Uh, This was an up and down year for Shabbat, suffered a season ending hand injury down the stretch. It looked like he would be a superstar in the NHL in his rookie season. But for a second straight year, he puts up a 50 to 55 point pace this year. Do you see Shabbat as someone who can reach those highs of that 65 point pace sophomore season again? Uh, you know, the only reason why I'm a little hesitant there, and I'm huge on him, like I think he's a legitimate number one defenseman. Like I, I know I hear from people that are like, I don't know, is he? No, no, he is. Like he is a, like I think he's one of the best 15 defensemen in the NHL. Like I, I, I truly, I do I think he's in that super top five upper echelon of, you know, the, the Roman Yossi's and the, you know, who are Kale McCars? No, I don't. But do I think he's in that kind of 10 to 20 range? I do. And, and I, you know, I think he logs a lot of important minutes. He plays um, a ton of uh, ice time and he hasn't always had the greatest partners. The only reason I'm never sold on him just now on, on terms of like being a 55, 60 point guy, he just, for whatever reason, him and the power play don't seem to really mesh. And it's really weird. Like, I think he like he's only scored two power play goals in his career. Like not last season, like in his career, like that's a wild stat. It's wild. (laughs) It's totally wild because if you look at the amount of time he's spent on the power play uh, versus the the goal production, it's mind boggling. Like it's literally mind boggling. You'd be hard pressed to find anybody in the last three years who spent as much time as Thomas Shabbat on the power play and only has two goals. Like it, it almost never happens. So, and he's not like your your prototypical quarterback that, like I said, a lot of this stuff will run through Batherson on the power play. Like, so he didn't even rack up a ton. Like he doesn't seem to rack up a ton of power play points. And as you know, the, the, the guys that really get the points and end up finishing, you know, kind of North and 60 points, a lot of them are getting a ton of power play points. Right. And so he hasn't done that to date. So I feel like his number to me is kind of between 45 and 50 ish points, 55, like maybe 55. But look, if he starts to click on the power play, absolutely. We'll have the conversation, but he is so talented. Like he is such a good defenseman. Um, He just, you know, his shooting percentage has always been pretty low. Uh, He just doesn't, 
seem to get some puck luck sometimes, but I, I think he's a, he's a legitimate first pairing defenseman in this league. And uh, I, I, I do think if he gets a little bit more luck on the power play, he could, he could be a guy that gets north of 50 points. Uh, does it change your mind to know that Shabbat actually scored his third power play goal of his career this season? Oh, see, now I'm, I, I'm completely off, yeah. Lacey. I'm, uh, now you're wondering, what, what else have I said that's wrong? Yeah, but, exactly. Whatever it is, like three. No, that isn't is that wild. crazy? Yeah, yeah. That is, three power play goals. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, not to, yeah, that doesn't change anything. And uh, it's, I guess the what, what it sort of makes me rethink is I was going to ask you about Eric Brandstrom, a guy who looked like he would be this huge piece in the return for Mark Stone, or, or at least Dorian obviously hopes so. Um, instead, he struggles to get in the lineup. And then when Shabbat goes out with this injury, he once again doesn't really impress on power play one. Um, do you think that's a, a, a factor of this? Maybe just the the power play really doesn't go through the point too much in Ottawa? Or do you think that that's more of a factor of Brandstrom not really panning out to expectations? Oh, I, and so here's the thing on Brandstrom. Like, he ended up last season, DJ Smith just played him a ton. Like, he ended up basically averaging... 20 minutes a night by the end of the year. Like, like he was uh, based on numbers. He was a top four defenseman by the end of the year. Like he was, he was playing uh, a regular shift. And like you said, when Shabbat was out for an extended period of time, Branstrom was quarterbacking PB one. It's the weirdest thing with him. Cause he actually has a better shot. I think from the point, like it, even though he's smaller than Shabbat, he's got a heavier shot, but he doesn't seem to get it on net. And I'll, I'll give you a great example for, the weirdness of Brandstrom's career. Like he, he's played now hundred and whatever games. Okay. I know he's played more than hundred games in his career. He's got two goals. Okay. One of them is a power play goal. The other, the only time Eric Brandstrom's ever scored an even strength goal in the NHL was from center ice. He shot it in like, so it was from the neutral zone. He shot the puck in and it, and it handcuffed David Riddich, who was playing for Calgary at the time. That's it. He's got two goals and, and it's the weirdest thing. Like he's, you can see it. Like you can see the talent. You can see the shot. You can see the vision. You can see the passing. And it just, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to translate for fantasy hockey players. Now I think what's going to be even more of a challenge for branch from next season is here comes Jake Sanderson and Sanderson is going to end up becoming this team's number two or like second pairing defense. So if you look at Ottawa on the left side for next season, Shabbat's going to be one. Sanderson's going to be two. Brandstrom's going to be three. So if you're drafting Ottawa defensemen based on, Hey, I need some guys to get some points. I'd be a little bit worried that Brandstrom, his minutes are going to be dialed back. And even his power play time, he certainly won't be on PP one. And if he's on, power play two, I, you know, I don't know who he's going to be surrounded by. So um, he's a really, he is, he's an NHL defenseman. I, I see people saying they don't, in my opinion, he's an NHL defenseman. He's just kind of caught in a, in a no man's land of like, he just, it doesn't seem to translate on the score sheet for him from, from a fantasy perspective. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, Sanderson is for sure the next player that I was I was going to bring up here. Uh, seems like a lock for opening night lineup as as rookies go. Um, he's I was surprised to learn in doing research for this episode that he is the only player inside the top 10 in the 2020 draft who hasn't yet played a game in the NHL. 
Um, when you look, I, I guess, obviously, you've already answered my question about sort of where he factors in, which is on that second, uh, as the second uh, pairing. Um, but when you look ahead, then, to to what he can do for Ottawa, do you see him challenging Shabbat for power play time? Or do you think that he's going to be more of, I, I guess I always look back to that, uh, the St. Louis Blues when they had Petrangelo and Shattenkirk, and it was like, all right, Shattenkirk is going to get run out there for the offensive minutes, and, and we're going to have Petrangelo eat up all of the, the defensive assignments. Do you, Where do you see uh, Jake Sanderson on, on that continuum? It's going to be really interesting because um, I think next season, I don't, I don't see the scenario where he comes in and like starts to eat Shabbat's minutes, certainly on power play one and, and, you know, kind of even, even deployed at five on five. I, I don't see it, but if we're talking about like kind of two or three years down the road, I think that's what they're hoping is that maybe Jake and, and, and the one thing on Jake is I think when the, when he was drafted, Again, a lot of people thought did Ottawa reach a little bit? Um, you know, was was his offensive upside as high as some other guys? And his last year and a bit at at um, at the NCAA at North Dakota, like he was dynamite. Like, and it's too bad this entire season for him for Jake was kind of a write off because you know the World Juniors got got postponed due to COVID. And then he got hurt. Then he went to the Olympics and then he got hurt there. And then he came back and he was ready to play in the frozen four. And then he got hurt again. And then he was supposed to play for Ottawa a um, few games after he signed his entry level deal. And guess what? He was hurt again there. So um, it's too bad because he should have played at like 10 to 12 games for Ottawa this season. And then I, maybe I would have had a better answer for you about like how quickly he, his, his game can, can translate at the NHL level. But when you talk to the Ottawa people, they'll tell you that they believe that at some point he will pass Shabbat and become this franchise's like number one guy. Like I think they they feel like he is going to be their more insider, their you know we, what we've seen Kel McCarr become in in Denver. Um, like one of these guys that just gonna, he's going to be the guy, and it's going to take time. I don't think he'll be able to come in right off the hop and and, and seize that twenty five minutes a night. But it's coming. But again, if you're drafting, if you're looking at this purely from a fantasy perspective, I don't like I would still take Shabbat ahead of Sanderson next season. But maybe next summer when the, when we've got a year of, of a track record of both of them in the lineup at the same time, maybe we can have a different conversation. Really exciting to hear that. I, I think that uh, it'll be exciting to get Sanderson in the league, especially because. Uh, again, like you said, the expectations for a, a top five pick were quite high there, and a lot of people thought that the Senators whiffed. But um, I feel like the the bigger whiff uh, uh, recently in Senators draft lore, and, and I was I was asked to uh, to bring up Tyler Boucher with you. I think folks are, are curious yeah. to sort of hear um, what the prognosis is on on Tyler Boucher as a pick, uh, who you know a year ago the the Senators were sort of blasted for for making a guy so far off the board, a top 10 pick. So I've had a few conversations with Tyler conversations with Tyler Boucher. And the one thing I'd like to say is like, he's a really likable young man. And where I always feel bad for kids is they're kids. And like, they didn't ask to be drafted where they did. Right. Like, like Tyler Boucher didn't, I, I'm sure he appreciated it, but uh, what, what he probably doesn't appreciate is, all of the pressure that comes with being drafted 10th overall. And then you see, and I'm just using Cole Sillinger as an example, but then you see a team take Cole Sillinger after you. And then that guy's in the NHL and you're like, you know, the fan base is restless. I think 
Tyler Boucher. This is a huge year coming up for him. And I, 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 what I think would be ideal for him is he goes back in kind of his overage year in, in junior hockey and he dominates at, at, with the Ottawa 67s. Like this would like the ideal plan would be like, go down to the O and put together a 95 point season, take this team to the playoffs, have a deep run. And then maybe at the end of the year, next year, depending on when the OHL season ends or when your season ends. And if, 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 the, if the stars align, maybe you get some AHL games, maybe you get an NHL game, whatever it is, but just go in and have a dominant year. He's had COVID multiple times. He's had injuries multiple times. Like he just has it. He left uh, uh, college because it just wasn't the right fit for him. Like he's had a bunch of false starts here and he just, this young man just needs traction and stability and, and consistency. And I think a full year at the OHL next year would, would give it to him. He played the last half of the year with the 67s this year. Uh, but I think a full season in junior and then next year at this time, maybe we could talk about him. Uh, does he, does he have a chance to push for a, a roster spot in, in 2023, 2024 with Ottawa as a, you know, maybe Connor Brown isn't in the picture. Maybe he's your third line right winger, fourth line right winger. Um, I just don't see a scenario where he challenges for an NHL playoffs, uh, NHL roster spot in the fall. But that's more of a function of, hey, he just, I'm not saying he's not talented to do it. He just needs a season under his belt uh, to get some confidence back and, and really get some some game experience. Any other of the pipeline guys who you think could uh, could factor in next season? Uh, Elon from the Keeping Car, one of the hosts of the show, uh, has Parker Kelly in one of his deeper dynasty leagues as a guy who he thinks could uh, put up a lot of hits for him. Is is Parker Kelly in the picture? Anyone else who sort of factors in next year? Yeah. So yeah. Again, if you're in in, in one of these leagues where hits are you know calculated and and uh, taken as a um, you know, a stat that, that that's positive. Parker Kelly is going to be a classic guy for you that, yeah, if you're looking for a guy that's going to have, um, you know, in the neighborhood of like, you know, 200 plus hits, he would be your guy. And my, my guess would be he's your everyday fourth line left winger in Ottawa. So if you're in a deeper league and you're like, I need some depth guys. And he did score a handful of goals. Like he scored a handful. Anyway, I don't have the number. I, whatever he scored last year. Okay. He played half the season. I think he was on pace for like 12 or 13 goals. Like, I don't think it's crazy to think that he could score 10 goals for you in the course of a full season, get 200 hits for you. Um, he'll play like the coach loves him. Okay. Coach loves him. So he'll play every night. And I think as long as he's healthy, um, the other guy that could potentially, well, I'll give you two other guys that could potentially be like, kind of, if you're in a deeper dynasty, Hey, I need some fourth line guys. One is a centerman named Mark Kastelik, who uh, played a handful of games this year. He's still kind of a project. Like I, I think he could, could compete for the fourth line center job, but but they like him. And I think in an ideal world, at some point, he becomes the everyday fourth line center here. So that's another name to keep in mind, Mark Kastelik. And then the other guy that's kind of on the radar. He played one game. Well, there's two other guys. Guy they called up at the end of the year last year, Victor Lodin. So this guy is somebody they picked in the in the fourth round uh, a couple of years ago. It was a pre-pandemic draft. So if it wasn't 2018, it was 2019. 
and, and Victor Lodine was a guy that just, you know, you, you, you drop these guys in the fourth round. You're like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, it's, he's a project. Well, he started to progress and he started to play better. And then he went to Belleville in the AHL and they were like, holy smokes. Like this guy's a goal scorer at the AHL level. And they gave him one game in the NHL at the end of the year as like, I think as a, like a reward to say, Hey, this is a heck of a year you had in the AHL and also kind of a, Hey, I wonder if this guy could potentially be a factor for us and, and play some games. So Victor Lodine would be a guy to watch. And then the other one is Igor Sokolov, who played a handful of games uh, for Ottawa last season. He's knocking on the door. He was a he was a big time. If you're a fan of the Q, QMJHL, you would know him from his, he almost had a goal a game. His last year in Cape Breton, he was like almost, almost 50 goals in 50 games. And there's a lot of questions about whether he can skate at the NHL level, but he's kind of starting to produce at the AHL level this year. He had 50 points, uh, I think, during the regular season for for Belleville and was kind of the the top scorer for, for Belleville in terms of like young prospects. So Sokolov's a guy that could maybe get some games um, next season that, that, that might be able to get a handful of games. So uh, I wouldn't be shocked if, if, if you get to see him, uh, you know, maybe playing some games for Ottawa next season. Excellent. And so we have one final part of the ice that we need to talk about. It's the Nets. And uh, not always a Senators fan's favorite topic of discussion, especially with Matt Murray still on what I would say is one of the worst goalie contracts in the NHL. Two more years at $6.25 million. Uh, Do you see Murray as a buyout candidate this offseason, especially with the play of Anton Forsberg last year, who... I was really I did not expect much from him when he, when he would spell Murray at the start of the year, but he just kept being so consistent all year and posted a 917 save percentage uh, on the season. Or do you think that this is sort of a Philip Gustafson's net in the over the next few years? How do you sort of? I guess I, I'm just asking in general. How do you see this sort of three headed monster shaking out over the next year or two? Yeah, well, so I the only thing I, I feel very comfortable saying right now is your opening night starter is going to be Anton Forsberg. Like that's about all I can tell you right now. Um, he, he's, he played so well down the year, down the stretch, the players, I think enjoyed kind of playing in front of him. He gave them some confidence and stability and consistency and some of the things that were lacking. So I think that's going to happen. I don't know that Murray is a buyout candidate. Like if you look at Ottawa buyout candidates, the one name that you hear over and over is Colin white, just based on his age you'd only have to do a one third buyout, the Murray buyout, you'd be, you're eating a lot of money there. Like he, in terms of real money, like he's making, I think seven and a half and eight and a half in real cash right. the next two years. So that that's, that that's a lot to, 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 to bite. So I think if you look at Matt Murray, there was a stretch of games from January to February. He was dynamite. Like yeah. he was, he was at nine thirty save percentage. And like he was winning. But it's the injuries that have, have kind of cost him. So I think in an ideal world, you roll back with Forsberg and Murray and you say, we're comfortable doing a 50-50 split with these guys and then letting one of them take the ball and run with it. And, you know, Gustafson is kind of there if, if needed. Uh, but but I look at this and I say, I think Forsberg has earned the net for opening night. Like, so if you're asking me, like, like 
what Ottawa goalie has the best chance of making 50 starts for the team next year? It's got to be Forsberg, um, just based on the way he played last year and, and the team's consistency. Um, I just, I know. never would have expected that going into the season. No. He was, I, I just, I was burnt by him, uh, you know, just grabbing him as a spot start a few times the year before. And I mean, in Chicago, he never really showed that level. But do you think that, there, do you see something that sort of explains his turnaround? So, I mean, really, Forsberg's a guy that, um, you know, and it's funny because Edmonton has made a deep run in the playoffs. Edmonton had Anton Forsberg last year and let him go. And, you know, they, they kind of had some issues in goal uh, after that. Um, he, I think Anton just needed to get an opportunity where, and this year the stars aligned for him where Matt Murray got hurt and Phil Gustafson kind of struggled a little bit and suddenly the door was open and he seized it. And, you know, you got to remember, he's only 28, 20, or 29 years old. So it's not like he's, you know, 32, 33. And in Ottawa, we saw Craig Anderson kind of became the starter at that age, you know, in that 28, 29 range. Like, it's not unheard of for a goalie to come in. Just, hey, this guy just needed his opportunity. We saw Craig Anderson do it. Um, that's what Anton thinks. Anton thinks that, you know, he just needed to bide his time and find an opportunity. And this is his opportunity. And so I think, uh, I think what, what Anton often said was just having the, it felt like for the first time in a long time, he had the confidence of the coaching staff and, and the team that would, you know, even if he had the odd bad night, he knew he was getting the start the next game. And I don't think he's had that at the NHL level until now. So he's pretty excited. Um, I think to, to come in here, and I think he's coming in with the mentality of this is my, I'm the number one guy. Like salary cap, cap friendly might say Matt Murray's the number one guy, but I'm going to go in with the mentality that I'm the number one guy. And I think I can make 50 starts for this team. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch that that goaltending battle kind of play itself out. The one thing that I I sort of notice as you say that is you you seem to have a lot of faith in Matt Murray and the the period of time in which you know again shockingly maybe it's just that I, I don't trust goalies uh, at all which which does seem to work out for me you know roughly sixty percent of the time but um, it's hard for me to picture Matt Murray as being a competitive player uh, maybe and maybe it is the the competition that he lacked the last two years uh, am I am I reading your 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 sentiment on Matt Murray correctly do you think that he could be you know a decent one uh, B uh, in Ottawa next year. Um, yeah, like, I mean, at that, at that cap hit and that dollar, you don't want him to be the one B, right? No, you want him yeah. to be the one A. Um, yeah, listen, I, 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 unless they can find a trading partner and they'd probably have to eat salary. I don't see another team based on the year that he had. I'm not sure that another team is, Hey, I'll, I'll trade for Matt Murray. Like I, I just, I, even though he's got the two Stanley cups, I don't see it. So I think their best solution is, Hey, they, they got to work with what they have. I still maintain when he's healthy boy, like I'm telling you when he's like, there was that stretch. He just looked phenomenal. Like he looked mm-hmm. every bit like the guy that won two Stanley cups for like six weeks in a row. It was Matt Murray looking good. And then just, you know, and especially when a guy has a concussion and a history of concussion, he had a couple of neck injuries this year. You're like, man, like I don't even know. I can't even pretend to think about what that might be like for, for the athlete to, to not feel like themselves and just to, to struggle with that. So I, I feel like if he's ready to go and he says he's healthy, I'd love to see him get the opportunity. But like I said, it feels like uh, Forsberg is your de facto number one starter. And it's going to have to be 
Murray wrestling it away. And the only way you can wrestle that away is if you play well for an extended period of time and, and you remain healthy. And maybe that competition helps Murray get back to that level. Uh, Ian, the only other thing I, I kind of wanted to ask you about is about the, the upcoming draft. The Sens have the seventh overall pick. Do you have any uh, favorites on who you'd like to see them grab there? You, you know what the funny thing is on that? Is if you talk to the average Ottawa fan, they're not even paying attention to the draft this year <laughs> because they're so certain the Senators yeah. are going to trade that pick. Mm-hmm. And it really feels that way. Like Even in some of the comments Pierre Dorian has made in the last three weeks, four weeks, it's like He's like, hey, we 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 have to move into win now mode, and we need to tra-. like. It just feels like they're going to trade the pick. Like that. That's my feeling is that they're going to package that pick with something else to try to get some immediate help. So it feels less and less like um, that they're going to make the pick. But I think if they do make the pick, we're we're kind of at the point, at least I am, where I'm like, okay, well, they still need to add some talented offensive players. Like you can never have too many uh, talented players. And it seems like in this year's draft, those, those two defensemen uh, was it Nemich and, and Juracek are probably going to be gone. Like by the time Ottawa picks at seven. So I think they're, they're likely going to be looking at, you know, a collection of those forwards. And I, I really like the Kamel kid um, the, out of the Finnish elite league, because um, he, I know he had the injury and he kind of, didn't have his early season magic at the end of the year, but he in, in listening and reading to what scouts are saying, like they think that he's got the speed, he's got the skill. Like he legitimately has the top end uh, value that he could be top six down the road. So I would look at, at Kamel and say uh, he would be the guy that, you know, if I'm sitting at seven, I'm Ottawa and, and he's there, that'd be the guy I would take. Excellent. And I'm sure that there will be plenty of wonderful coverage on the athletic uh, about potential uh, trade options for that seventh overall pick. And eventually, if it does get traded, uh, some uh, some breakdowns from yourself about uh, the package coming back to Ottawa. Uh, Ian, can you uh, can you let people know where they can find your work? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate the plug and I appreciate you having me on. And yeah, listen, I, I get fortunate enough to write for the athletic. So hopefully a lot of your uh, listeners are familiar with our site and uh, our subscribers. And if not, we, um, you know, we are, well, right now I know we have our dollar a month uh, promotion, which I think is a great way to test drive our content. And so, listen, if you're a, a fantasy fan, um, what I love about our site is that, um, you know, we, we do a lot of, we have a lot of analytics based guys and girls that, that write for us. And um, we have uh, like kind of 30 beat writers that kind of, give you a sense of lineups and, you know, things that of that nature, then, then if you're really in the fantasy sports, then, you know, you, you get all like, like I am with, with the NFL. Um, it's a, it's a great tool and resource. So yeah, I'm an athletic guy and uh, yeah, that, that is where you can find all of my work. Fabulous. Ian. Yes. I, I, if people are regular listeners to our show, then they absolutely hear about the athletic a ton because yeah. you folks are, I, I would say a must uh, a must subscribe in terms of keeping up to date and, and having access to writers like yourself who are dialed in to every single team. Um, you know, you can you can figure out who is who's out, who is in the, the doghouse, which player is, uh, you know, overperforming, underperforming all those things for any team. Incredible resource. Ian, we're so uh, appreciative of having you join us. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, you, you've been incredible. Thank you for your time. Yeah, you betcha. Thanks for having me, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again uh, down the road.